Greetings and welcome to the Pure Report. I'm your host, Rob Ludeman. It is time to bring the orange yet again with everybody's favorite format. That is right, is the return of the Pure Report Unplugged with our favorite co-host, Andrew Miller and J.D. Wallace. Andrew and J.D., welcome back. I always love having you on to do this format and I get great feedback about it too. Welcome. Happy to, to be here. A Always a good time. <laughs> and there's that, and there's that crosstalk we were talking about. Yeah. Andrew. Couldn't have planned it better if we tried. <laughs> I know we were actually thinking about that. Blue for folks listening. And so like how it goes, like, it's like, Oh, we want to make it interactive, but we don't want to talk over each other. So it's a good listening experience. And we're working at that and we'll see how we do. What do you know? Maybe you can give us a letter grade at the end of this episode. Like how well did they keep it interactive without making it annoying? Yeah, I don't know. I think we'll do. All right. You will do all right. Well, Andrew, I'll turn it over to you because I know you're always the master of ceremonies for this. And I will hang around to crack wise and, and provide some input how and where I can. But I'm really excited to see what uh, what you guys have planned on the agenda today. Sweet. So a little bit of agenda preview. Uh, in case you're like, hey, I'm going to fast forward to five or 10 minutes and don't do that. We got good stuff all along the way, but a preview, a little bit of what's new for all of us. Then we're going to go into the second of the 15 architectural decisions. We're going to link that into one of the recent announcements around fusion. That's part number three, some recent announcements. One cool thing. We're going to go back to all you can eat old school buffet days. If you're wondering what that is, we'll play it out. And then last but not least, a tip of the week, bring that back from JD from week one. I think JD, is that right? I think so. And, uh, you know, we had a lot of fun with that, man. There's so much stuff we want to get in today. We, uh, we always run over and, uh, I, I suspect we might do so again, but we're going to, we're going to try, you know, it's always about trying to keep it in within time, but, oh, so we always have, always have such great conversations with you and Rob. So it's hard. Interesting enough that you're out grocery shopping or on the treadmill, whatever you're like, you know, I'll take that, that those 10 extra steps just to finish this episode. <laughs> Hopefully it's like, this is we're, we're good for your fitness after all. Okay. Section number one, what's new, Kind of just going around the horn here a little bit. So, J.D., do you mind starting off with what's new with you? Uh, you know what? We've had a lot of really cool meetings, some internal and external. Um, I got to travel to the Pure Chicago office for the very first time. What a beautiful office. What a wonderful set of people. I was welcomed with open arms. Um, and that was that was an amazing experience to go and get to see a few more Puritans that I hadn't met in person before. And, you know, we had some kind of internal meetings set up that were going on there. And so that was a lot of fun. The other meeting that I want to mention, and, and you guys be so jealous, we, we recently had our sales kickoff. And, uh, you know, internal meeting, unfortunately, so you, you can't go watch the recording or anything, but Jennifer Hudson, uh, was actually a guest at our sales kickoff and, oh man, was it cool to hear her talk about her history and how, you know, what inspires her. And, uh, you know, I, I, I've always really enjoyed hearing her music and hearing some of her versions. And so it was just absolutely wonderful to, for me, for me to, uh, to have her on and, and see her as part of that, part of that event. The just go back to the Chicago office and, and not diminishing uh, th that was an amazing session with Jennifer. But the Chicago office, I was thinking about if you think about this, everyone knows the Sears Tower now it's the Willis Tower, you know, super, super big building in downtown Chicago. That's actually where our office is. And you can look this up online, but it's pretty neat. And if I remember right, there's a huge orange wall in there, or maybe a couple orange walls when you walk in. Um, I don't, you know what, actually, yes. And I, I took a photo actually out on Twitter. I think there's a selfie of me in front of the big orange wall, but it says Chicago and we've got lots of fun little plugs. There's, I'm going to get myself in trouble. You know, the bears, right. That's a Chicago thing. And we've got mm -hmm. the pure logo and all that kind of fun stuff. I'm sure we can fight over anything. So, okay. <laughs> Rob, not a sports with you. Fan. You know that. 
<laughs> oh, and, and, and dovetail it. Yeah. I can do sports anytime you want, gentlemen. I know that's maybe not your forte, but, um, dovetailing on, premier league. Come on. Yes, now. That's, well, not, I mean, that's well, outside any, the U S but Hey, anything, come on. March madness is starting tomorrow night. Right. So, um, you know, dovetailing on JD, it's really interesting. You mentioned getting to see kind of a, a really interesting and provocative, you know, industry star or celebrity, because one of the things that I'm working on quite a bit right now is pure's annual customer event. Uh, Pure Accelerate is out there in June. Go to purestorage.com slash accelerate. We're going to do a live program on site right now. We've got a schedule in a certain location. I'll, I'll keep it under wraps for right now, but also working on a couple other locations, including potentially international and also, of course, the great virtual experience, pre-recorded content, some simulive and live content as well online for those that are still not able or, or willing to travel. That is OK, but really a great, rich experience that uh, that we're planning right now. And I'm, I'm so excited for that. I, my first accelerate was experience was in 2019 before I was even a Puritan, I, I got the opportunity to attend. And I tell you what, I know there's a lot of, there's a lot of vendor events out there, but this one was super inspiring for me. And I can say that even before uh, I, I was on the team here, lots of cool announcements and camaraderie and fun things to do. And, and I love Rob that you're being very inclusive here. We're, we're opening it up um, in person for those folks who like me been desperate for that kind of, uh, interaction, but you know, not everybody's there yet. And so I love that there's going to be a virtual component as well. I think that's really great. Well, and the, I think the experience itself will be somewhat different, right? It's not going to be your standard show up and walk through a conference hall and, you know, sit in conference rooms and listen to people speak. There's going to be sort of an open air element, you know, we're calling this tech fest and that we're really trying to, bring in the the essence of some of the open air music festivals and, and events of that nature and really make it something that you can just feel comfortable walking around and see what you want to see and talk to who you want to talk to. So, you know, more to come on that. And Andrew, I guess the only other thing I'm excited about is uh, I am going to get a chance to see the JD Wallace in person about two or three weeks from now, there is a partner road show that we are doing at uh, various breweries around the United States, which of course I like. And, uh, I will be in Seattle in a few weeks, also going to Denver and a couple other locations. So JD, I look forward to seeing you and tipping one back while we're together in person, but I can't wait. And you're going to a couple of different cities. So I look forward to at the end of that, you confirming once and for all to everyone that Seattle beer is absolutely the best beer. So get ready for that. You got it. Thanks, Andrew. <laughs> I'm thinking of Accelerate. I think you and I met for the first time, Rob, actually, that same Accelerate, uh, the 2019 Accelerate. So we did the first of a couple podcasts. I was trying to be like, I, I think I've got stuff that you might want me to talk about, but I'm not trying to be pushy. And then we kind of hit it off. And hey, it was the beginning of a beautiful thing. So look at that. You know, what I would say is we sat in a hotel room and recorded, I think, what was one of our first ransomware episodes. And I've done others with other people. But Honestly, I would advise people go back and listen to that one. I mean, that was classic. That was like 2019 and you go through your talk track and the three vectors and that stuff is all still relevant. It's all still now we've done more modern and updated versions of that. But if you want to go back and hear what we were talking about in 2019 and realize, well, it's all kind of, it's all kind of the same. Uh, that was a great one. So yeah, I loved meeting you at that accelerate and look where, look where we are now three years later. I mean, we don't actually even see each other. We just spend time over Zoom. It's like, uh, but hey, you know. So 
uh, on mine, I'll, I'll kind of chime in a little bit here. Totally on a personal front, I'm going to be heading to Legoland relatively soon. Uh, we have, as part of kind of pandemic stuff and vacations, we have one year passes to Legoland. I, I think, JD, you got something oh. similar going on here soon, too. Next month. I can't wait. I, uh, and I've been, you know, I've been picking your brain. So, uh, you've been before and I, I can't wait to experience it. And I appreciate all of your tips and tricks. We're going to put them all to good use. What is I, I feel for like each it's... of you guys? What is the draw? Is it the rides? Is it the building? Is it what the kids get enjoyment out? Like what is, what is the draw? I mean, I love it. I, mean, I think it's great, but like for you guys, what are you looking forward to most? I mean, well, first of all, you know, I, I've got a kid who loves Lego, but also, you know, I'm there's, there's even a name for us, uh, adult fan of Lego. I I just finished putting together the uh, the one of the uh, space sets and have so much fun with it. You can see them for those of you who uh, are on video. You can see it in my background. I got Legos everywhere. A Andrew, what's your draw? It, it's a combination. So like I grew up playing with Legos. Uh, one son really loves Legos. He's the point where he builds his own stuff creatively out of it, you know, kind of thing. Um, the rides are not too intense for uh, one member of my family who doesn't love intense roller coasters. So it actually hits the right amount. It's also, frankly, a park where you can go and you don't have to do an insane amount of planning. I'm the travel planner, so we, we plan some, but you don't have to show up and plan it to the nth degree. So you can kind of relax a little bit more and wander around and see more stuff and be low key and hang out at the water park. So it's it, there's no like simple answer, but but it works for us, you know. And I think you'll find it's actually it's it's an interest that's really shared throughout our tech community. In fact, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, a couple of us in the V Expert community got together. It was me and Al Rashid and Chris Kaladi and a couple of other folks. And we just on a weekend, you know, totally unrelated to what we were doing in our business life, got together and did a little Zoom and everyone kind of shared uh, what they were building and, you know, their experience with it. And it was just it, it was a lot of fun. So I, it's you know, there's lots of common threads that kind of flow through our big tech community or big family here. Right. I think they've also done very well with um, it is still a child's toy. Let's be real in some ways, but you can use it as adult. And I think there's a little less buying resistance. I know there is for me when my son wants Legos versus other stuff. And I think they've done a really good job of tapping into that too. Like, cause it's educational, like really kind of sort of mostly a lot. It is. So yeah. yeah. Um, from a, from a work standpoint, I actually want to do a little bit of callback JD to, um, we're going to do another tip of the week later, but your tip of the week around kind of enabling new features and looking at stuff or enabling features in pure that you might not have known about. It might be new to you. So within the last couple of weeks, um, actually given your, we didn't even plan this, Rob, you mentioned that original ransomware podcast. The last couple of weeks, I've been on calls with a couple of customers who have recovered from ransomware attacks thanks to pure snapshots. Can't be public about the names as you would expect kind of thing. I've also sadly been on some calls that are kind of the, the the reverse a little bit too, where people almost didn't take the threat seriously enough. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's, it's disappointing, but I, I understand why that can happen. Right. I mean, sometimes when you're thinking about enabling these features, the idea of the feature safe mode in particular is what we're talking about here is it, it restricts you from doing things. And anytime it restricts you from doing something, there can be uh, there can be some risk associated with that. Maybe I'll use up all my capacity. Maybe I won't be able to make a change that I need to change quick enough. And so, you know, appreciate your, your throwback to that first tip, just a quick reminder on that. It was really all about some, capabilities that we built 
in to allow you to kind of simulate some of the safe mode features before you turn them on, right? So now I can I can go ahead and set up those schedules. I can you know extend that eradication timer, which is the the length of time I wait before I go and delete something that's been deleted before I really delete it before I eradicate it. And w- the tip was around using some of those tools to allow yourself to simulate what the capacity consumption is going to be like, what the experience is going to be like before you go all the way in, right? So I think that's a great reminder, very timely. Um, you know, we've got those capabilities to kind of help you out. So, uh, you know, give us a call. We can we can talk through some of that. I'd far rather be having the conversation with the folks that have peers helped them recover than where kind of drag their feet a little bit and then wish they had. Like still, we're still here to help however we can, but practically. Absolutely. Okay. I think we're into the first main section which is around the 15 decisions. If you go back, you've been listening, you may recall that we talked about the 15 architectural decisions that guided pure development focused originally on FlashRay, but inclusive of the entire pure portfolio. You'll find these decisions and these architectural principles pervading throughout what we do, but they go back to 2009 and they've been surprisingly long lasting as far as being able to continue playing out the application, the realization of those principles, if you will. Number one was simplicity. Uh, We talked about that, oh, however many weeks or months ago, JD. I don't remember. But number two is most efficient architecture at scale, or sometimes what we call it is around scale up versus scale out and making conscious decisions there. Uh, I'm going to look deeply into your eyes here, JD. You want to introduce this one or you want me to, you know, either way. You know, I I definitely have some thoughts here. So I think... And like everything that we talk about, it kind of, they all tie together. And so I think this kind of ties back into the first thing we talked about, which was simplicity. How do we build an architecture that not only can scale very well, but can do so without a lot of complexity, right? And I'd also argue that, you know, we're kind of going to focus a little bit on Flash Array today. We certainly have an architecture that is a scale out architecture, makes a lot more sense, I would argue, for file object protocols for that kind of situation. But when we're talking about throughput stuff, exactly, exactly. But when, when latency is important, when we're talking about block workloads in particular, um, I think this kind of scale up architecture is really what has unlocked a lot of the simplicity and a lot of what we do with Evergreen, being able to continually grow the environment. As we like to say, we build an environment where the, the storage uh, evolves around your data as opposed to your data being moved from silo to silo to silo. And, and there's a lot of technology in, uh, in scale up that, that enables that. What's kind of interesting is you look back at the history of Pure, back to when these decisions were first laid out, it first was a single controller. Like, and because Flash was fast enough, people were willing to even take a shot at that because it like had so many benefits and you could do resiliency in other pieces in the stack, okay? Then going to a dual controller, and then there was this actually intentional dis- decision to stop at a dual controller architecture. Even one training, I think we both thought that JD was from cause uh, from some internal commentary from him, that it wasn't even set in stone about scale up versus scale out so far, scale up with two controllers and then being able to grow the controllers and the amount of capacity in the controllers was working out so much better from a reliability, economic standpoint, simplicity. But, and this was even before, ironically, Flash Plays was introduced. Kaz said, like, we haven't rolled out doing scale out. And maybe when he gave that training, he already kind of had a Flash Blade in his head, like what was going on there. But this, this was more of a, at that point in time for this product set, it made a lot of sense. Also, there's the idea here about scale up being simpler in certain ways 
but simpler in a good way. And, and I think the, when you think about trade-offs, right? Cause that's really what all of these decisions are about is what, what is the trade-off? The trade-off you have with scale up is, you know, how, how much capacity can I, can I put under a, a dual controller architecture? Right. Mm-hmm. And do I start to thin out that performance profile over time? And I think the big bet that we made was that we were going to be able to keep up with Moore's law. We were going to be able to keep up with that transition, but the key point was being able to really easily upgrade those controllers. And so I think that's why, you know, the ability to, you know, the ability to seamlessly and non-disruptively upgrade from, you know, class to class to class of controller is what kind of unlocks that. And, and, you know, Andrew, in our last conversation together, we talked about FlashRay XL. Now we're getting to multi-petabyte scale, um, you know, with maintaining those performance parameters. And so I think that's really kind of proven to be true. Um, and, and, And XL is just another example of that, right? One of the things that actually I'll, I'll pull the XL thread for a second. And I'll go back to where I was sure. saying is that, I mean, XL, we made a bigger chassis. We keep writing Moore's law even further. It is a five U chassis to have more thermal offload and that kind of thing, but it pushes performance a good bit further, but it still keeps the exact same principle. So it's like all the stuff that people loved about flash array with snapshots and API and all the replication options, et cetera, but with a bigger experience, but it still preserves, there's one other thing I just literally thought I wanted to draw out of that decoupling of storage versus compute from even an array standpoint. So as, the, as people, if you actually think about a scale-up architecture, you can actually make a case that it's easier to make the controllers stateless. And I'm stealing here because that's that's going to be architectural decision number five. So we're going to come back to that in an episode or two or three. But that actual scale-up architecture, at least at the time, made it easier to make it stateless and then when you pair it up, and I'm going to draw from another decision we're going to get to later around how we had much lower flash failure rates. Well, it makes sense that you might want to keep the flash around for a long time while you can tra- while you replace the controllers more frequently, thanks to, like you said, Moore's Law. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not not having to kind of throw away all the different pieces and start away from scratch, start start over from scratch every single time you kind of move into that new architecture. I mean, that, again, we're we're a lot of common threads here, but that's what is enabling um, the the longevity of the platform. Hey, you, you need more performance? Great, let's bring in a new set of controllers. You need more capacity, or you need to um, add some density to the capacity you have. It's you know non disruptively. Let's bring in those new flash modules and let's go ahead and, and consolidate those. And so, um, you know, it's a it's a bet I think is uh, is paying off. There's and we're we were looking at some kind of previous even pure slides about like the X series and the M series, et cetera. There's been some architectural longevity here that people might not have thought, especially go back five or 10 years. It was like, everything's going to be scale out this. And there were various trends around HCI and other ones, not bad mouthing, just like this is the reality. So there's been this longevity of how Pure's approach scale out going back 10 years. At the same time, I'm going to talk out the other side of my mouth now, intentionally. (laughs) You can always think about how far do you go with a scale up approach? And now we're into the idea of how big do you want the blast radius to be? How many hundreds of terabytes or petabytes do you even want? Even if we're now at the point where we've got six nines of availability and, and good empirical numbers kind of thing, how far do you want to go? Because even our biggest customers, I mean, there's no single flash array or even single storage array that is big enough for the biggest customers out there. You've got to have multiple pods, availability zones. 
And I think you're right to focus on performance because I think that's probably the first characteristic we think about, but there, there actually may be some other reasons why you might want to do that, right? Maybe uh, the sovereignty of the the data that's stored in array. Maybe there needs to be some separation there. So, um, you know, I think performance is the classic one, but there's definitely other reasons why architecturally you may want to kind of delineate those, those different things, especially now that we have things like uh, different, uh, different, different platform, or, I'm sorry, different different arrays in the platform. We have flash rate X. We talked about Excel. We have flash rate C. How do I bring those together in a way that I can operationalize them without having to treat them as these independent silos, right? So I'm going to use that to do a throwaway teaser and a segue. The teaser is we actually have a coffee break coming up next month in April. Whenever you're listening to this, uh, thanks to the power of recording, it'll be in the future, but it'll be in April of 2022, where JD and I are actually going to geek out on all of the 15 decisions in a little bit of a video format. I don't know. Maybe we'll have Legos in the background, something like that, probably. I'm sure we will. Um, so not just number one and number two, but we'll actually go through a bunch of them together and then we get into some newer, cooler stuff with FlashRay. The comment, though, that I want to pull, and we're just being super upfront here about the segue, is we do think about how far do you scale out. We have customers that have tens of arrays, hundreds of arrays kind of thing. And even if Pure had one single big array to rule them all, that's not the right architectural approach. You, you get to be big enough. You think about pods, and we think about blast radius and failure zones, all this kind of stuff. Like, not that the stuff failed, but that's how you think about it architecturally. So even with our customers that have tens or hundreds of arrays, the way they do it today is thanks to the simplicity of Pure. There's less operational overhead, period, per array, with a robustness of feature set and capabilities and stability, six nines. And then we get into some of this stuff about you know being API first and that you could write an abstraction layer to automate stuff. With Active Cluster, you could probably even move things around. With Pure One, you could see some real intelligence around workload planning. And then we thought about productizing that. So I, I just want to pause there. And we're going into topic number two today, which is near and dear to your heart, JD. Yeah. So, you know, we, gosh, and I hope we didn't overshadow this a little bit in our last conversation. We had the benefit that we had two announcements uh, earlier this year, Flash Ray XL, the one that we we covered last time, but there was another one, uh, Pure Fusion. And you know, it's, there's lots of great material out there. We're not going to spend today kind of recapping exactly what Pure Fusion is. Uh, I encourage you to go check out um, maybe the Tech Field Day recording from maybe a week or two ago uh, where, where we did that. And again, magic of recording. So maybe it was a few weeks ago by the time you hear this, but there's lots of great material out there. But I, I think what we wanted to talk about today was how it influences, you know, some of those other aspects, the scale out architecture, the uh, cloudiness. We talk a lot about pure fusion in terms of cloud and, and Andrew, you touched on um, the fact that our customers who have multiple arrays may be thinking about how to operationalize these as, as a group. Right. And so one of the ways is to, to leverage our APIs. Um, but let's, let's kind of, pull on that a little bit. If you were to do that, if I were to go say, okay, great, we've got five, 10, 15 flash arrays, and I'm going to go write some APIs or write against the API and write some, some software to help me manage that. What am I doing? I, I'm still thinking about the arrays in a very array specific way. I, I'm, I'm going to write uh, software that says, 
go talk to array A or array B and go create LUNs and, you know, do manipulate the network somehow to make sure that these are connected together. Um, is that the way that customers are starting to consume storage when they think about it, especially from a cloud-centric perspective? I think maybe not. Maybe we're evolving our thoughts a little bit. I mean, I'm, I'm going to just totally steal your tagline from earlier, but hey, uh, moving from modernizing infrastructure to modernizing applications. Yes. For those you can't see, we're smiling at each other, like, because we steal lines from each other. We borrow. We, I mean, the best artists borrow and steal and whatever that quote is, you know. So the, the thought is that as we think about infrastructure resources for better or worse, making that process more transparent as far as consuming it and then at, under the covers, it's more um, it's more automated. It's more policy driven. For those of you who've been following Pure for a while, if you look at Pure Service Orchestrator, even before the Portworx acquisition, if you kind of turn your head a little bit sideways and kind of squint a little bit, you can kind of see some of the beginnings of those ideas, abstracting the storage layers, being policy driven and how it's provisioned with multiple discrete units. Can any of those units scale up in various ways? Absolutely. But we can actually scale out in those pods or individual units. One quick shout out going back in time, uh, Rob, I was making sure you had Anthony Ferrario on to talk about Pure Fusion. So make sure to check out the previous Pure report on that, as well as some really good stuff in Cloud Field Day. Oh, one of the higher numbers. It's a recent one, like you said. You know, The, the last, well, I mean, yeah, it's not necessarily the last piece, but I'm going to circle back around a little bit. When we look at Pure's architectural history, to me, there's some continuity here of embracing the scale up nature of what flash ray is also saying you know this isn't going to leave flash blade out and it's not going to leave cloud block store out but initially we're just leaving a little flash ray centric in this piece today right now but it actually says you know we're going to scale it up you're going to have failure domains you're going to blast radius but you don't want to have to think about those pieces you want them to be able to be consumed up underneath without the cost sometimes that you have for these systems where the underlying components are so complex you can't manage them individually pure Flash array, the systems will still stay as simple underneath the covers as they have been and still as robust. So this this is a little bit of for our larger and smaller customers, a little bit of have your cake and eat it too. You can start smaller and then grow and scale to the point where it makes sense to take this approach. Or you can even start with this approach for some of our customers. Excuse me. And, you know, as you were talking, one of the things I kind of thought about is, you know, when we originally built Flash Array, I think one of the goals was to simplify the experience for our customer. And as we shift towards pure fusion, I think the exact same thing is true, but we've redefined a little bit who the customer is, right? So with, with the, the original design of flash array, the customer was the storage administrator that, you know, we, 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 we have a lot of these stories of early days, you know, as data center admins and, and all the, the pain that we knew, you know, managing storage. And, and we focused on fixing that experience for that customer, that data center user customer, but, but fusion is about changing that experience for the consumer of the storage, the application developer, the traditional persona who we think of in this cloud-focused world, who's you know going out to one of their public cloud providers and swiping a credit card and provisioning some storage, and they don't have to know what a LUN is or you know which rack their storage is in or what NVMe and Flash and all that kind of stuff. You know, and, and actually, I on Twitter um, a couple of days ago, 
uh, Scott Hanselman, Scott, Scott's a very well-known PM at Microsoft. And he, he threw a comment out there. He said, serverless doesn't mean there's no servers. It means we think about the servers less. And that resonated with me because I, I attributed that directly to what we're doing with Pure Fusion. And I, I posit that if that's the definition, then Pure Storage Fusion, this is going to be controversial, could be thought of as storage-less because what we're doing is we're thinking about the storage less, at least from that perspective of the, the consumer in this, this, this world that I've kind of defined, right? The actually it's literally made me think of something from an architecture standpoint. We think about in architectures, we, we've got a decision tree, like we're mapping out a data center architecture or storage. And this could be either I'm putting something into a data center, you're designing a product. We think about constraints. We think about bottlenecks. We think about what's hard to change. Sometimes that's where you even get kind of silly about naming. Like this name is going to get used as a primary key unintentionally. I can never change it. I'm going to agonize about that for a long time. So when we're thinking about that decision tree, if we can push some of the storage, and constraints or bottlenecks further down in a way that can be abstracted, I'd argue that goes right to your point of it lets us think about storage less, even as it's still pretty critical, like insanely critical, because we, we, we believe that we, we actually like these things, but we don't want you to have to think about them all the time. We haven't done our job right. The other thing I love there is that the comment about the shift of the customers, maybe shift and or expansion kind mm -hmm. of thing, because yeah. it's still, it's not running away from kind of the people that got us here. Absolutely. But even... The folks that were storage, I mean, the, the core feature behind safe mode actually came from looking at our storage admin customers and trying to help them when they were having a bad day. Like if they deleted the wrong thing, it stayed around in a recycle bin for 24 hours, you know, confusing naming convention, not enough caffeine that morning, that trying to help like deeply understanding what someone's day-to-day -day operational life is like and how it could go wrong in not fun ways and trying to help them out actually led into years later into some really cool stuff that is insanely relevant in the world of ransomware. Yes, we said ransomware a couple times. I think we're done saying it in this podcast, but yeah, yeah. I think we're on to the third section, which is going to be announcements. I've only got one announcement, but it's an interesting one because we're going to unpack it a whole bunch of different ways. I think I'll, I think I'll keep going here for a minute. So for it. We made an announcement with Azure around EDA. And if you're like me, uh, previous you, previous me didn't know what EDA is. Let's call it chip design, right? These are very intensive workloads that can punish regular arrays and platforms and networks. They're just very demanding, right? And they should be, right? Because you think about, uh, I mean, it's a chip design from a number of um, man, transistors. I'm, I'm losing all my words here. It's based on what I'm recording today. So very intensive workloads. But we actually found that what we've known for a while is that Flashblade excels at this because it is a throughput beast with parallelism and concurrency and all these other characteristics. We realized that we could partner up with Azure to be able to go and put Flashblade in close, located uh, near from a physical and really even a response time standpoint to a bunch of services inside Azure that are designed and remap really well to the EDA design process. There are folks inside Pure that can speak to this way better than I can, but it's actually a pretty cool announcement. Rob. Yeah, and just to your point on the complexity of it, what's really going on is you have these hundreds, in some cases, thousands of, of design engineers who are pushing their jobs all into a big compute farm. Well, what does a compute farm need to do? It needs to access the data to support 
all the simulations they're doing to look at all the functionality of the chip and the corner cases and accessing that data ends up being really complex. So you get a solution like this where we can do a, a hybrid type of scenario and leverage, you know, a, a really fast scalable architecture flash blade, but then also mm -hmm. there are certain things that can run in a cloud-like fashion as well. Um, it's, it's fantastic. And yes, I used to work in the chip industry, so I do have some fun, geeking out around this area because I used to work at companies where we had compute farms and there were times when engineers were offline because they were waiting for data. Their jobs were queued. And with the ability to support more jobs and access data in a paralyzed fashion, more jobs run, chip design cycles uh, shrink and companies stay more competitive because they can get their designs out to market sooner. I, I love this idea because it's really thinking very carefully about a particular business use case and in going and designing some solutions for customers that use that. But but I, I also think that it ties back to a conversation that I've had a few times, which is, you know, how do we, you know, how do we allow customers to benefit from some of the uniqueness in any public cloud provider and bring our data to that. We tell a great story about our own experience with Pure One and what we did when we started building out some of the Pure One, especially the Pure One meta services and how it all started 100% in you know uh, AWS. And then over time, we decided that it made a lot of sense for us to pull the data portion out, but we still wanted to leverage those services. They made a lot of sense. And, and this seems like uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like uh, kind of the same story over again, but specific to an EDA market, right? Well, and what's what's is fun it? is it's just an EDA market, but there's other there's other opportunities, right? Sure. I mean, I'm not giving away anything, but there's so <laughs> many other use cases out there that are cloud oriented. That is exactly where I wanted to go. Because if someone was saying like, hey, you're not an EDA expert, and I'm not pretending to be, but comfortable enough in talking about it and understanding what's under the covers. The piece here that I wanted to pull out of this beyond the announcement, which is amazing. And I think you even did a podcast on that too, Rob. You know, correct me if I'm wrong, because you do a podcast on everything. I think I'm safe saying that. Is that there was a core piece with Azure, which got me really interested. So for those who have been playing the at-home game on cloud stuff for a while, you know, we know, hopefully, you can put stuff, you can put gear any gear into a data center that's that's very proximate to, to cloud data centers. So often we do this with Equinix. There are other ones out there. But I'll stick with Equinix, for example. And then we have the ideas of Express Route or Direct Connect. The Azure version of this is called Express Route. What Azure offers and what was highlighted in this solution, but is much more applicable than just this solution, is what's called Azure Express Route Direct. For anyone who thinks about ingress and egress, ingress usually free-ish, egress you pay for, even aside from the cost of it, there's the time aspect, just the data gravity nature of it. So Azure offers what they call Azure Express Route Direct, which is where instead of paying for ingress and egress, you pay on a circuit basis. This to me makes me think more of how I would do sometimes a little bit of classic data center planning, if I dare put it that way. You know, if you spin up a 10 gig circuit or a link, uh, either from an MPLS standpoint sometimes, or even just inside your data center, you're not thinking about inherently how much data goes across that as long as you, you haven't maxed it out kind of thing. So it allows us to say a little bit of back to that. You know, at the very beginning, we said the all you can eat buffet. So this is an all-you-can-eat buffet from a link standpoint, a little bit of what's old is new again from how we've designed networks in the past. Don't assume this is everywhere, but you take that principle, that Azure Express Route Direct, and you can put that in Google and find way more details about it. 
that is that fundamentally changes how we can do things from an EDA standpoint and help our customers in Azure and pure customers. But it also then applies to so many other applications and services. And Andrew, you've been a little more up on this topic than me. So question for you, is this something um, that is just Azure has made generally available and we're talking about ways that potentially pure customers could take advantage of that? Or is there some specific thing we've done to I don't know, integrate with the service somehow? So this is where I will probably and potentially, maybe we may even, if we want to do a deeper dive on this, may bring in Rob Quast. It's always great to give mm-hmm. shout outs to some of our uh, coworkers and peers. It, it, when, when, we pull, when you pull this up on the Azure website, it actually talks about the locations that it's available in and the, and the data center providers that are in those locations. It's about you know physical data centers nearby to satisfy the requirements kind of thing. We have taken advantage of this, but in some ways it's the secret sauce. But anybody could leverage it that's in the physical spots with the right data center providers, which is why it has such, such huge application. Maybe a good opportunity for our first uh, Pure Report Unplugged guest. I think so. We've been thinking about it for a while. And, and Rob has got a, he's got a great setup too. And he likes to talk. He talks good, better than we do. I don't know. Good or better. Something like that. Marginal. Marginal. Okay, so... I think we're into the very last one, which is the tip of the week. And this is going to be entitled, I just decided to pick, pick up the tip of the week this week from JD. We wanted to bring it back. We're thinking about like, well, what can we talk about? So this is called tip of the week, finding a needle in a haystack. And credit to Eugene McGrath, uh, one of our other peers is a field solution architect. I think he's a principal field solution architect, recently promoted uh, for part of this story. So there was a large, so we're going to start off with a story and then the actual tip. Story is large customer, huge VMware environment, lots of storage arrays, lots of hosts, lots of data stores, lots of volumes, lots of VMs. You've got, you both got storage DRS wasn't in play, I don't believe, but regular DRS was. The VMs move around. That's what they're, they're supposed to do. They had some weird performance characteristics on some of the VMs from a storage standpoint. Eventually, it took them a while until they started using, and here's the plug, VM analytics. So VM analytics from a pure standpoint, if you're not familiar with it, actually connects into vCenter and into pure pure arrays. Think of it a little bit like ESX top on steroids. As soon as you see the UI, it makes a lot of sense. You can see the performance for the storage array, the volumes, the data stores, the ESX hosts, um, the VMDKs and the VM. I think I'm leaving out one layer and then there are these nice lines that map all between. And the great thing about it is it doesn't just give you the data, but it's actually the visualization that they apply on top yes. of it. It's a really nice, colorful way of, of zeroing in exactly for the, the performance stream you're looking for. So it ended up being, they ended up finding, tracing this back to an old VMware template, an old VM template that had some old SCSI drivers. This is back in the day of like the LSI SCSI and PV SCSI, paravirtual SCSI, et cetera. And this template kept getting used periodically Essentially, so it was they were seeing these performance issues almost what looked like randomly because it was spread around between a lot of different hosts and a lot of different data stores, but it was actually that little nugget. And thanks to the visualization, like you said, we're actually able to see the needle in a haystack instead of doing ESX top forever or looking at logs, et cetera, and able to trace all the way back to, okay, it's, it's all these VMs spread out. It's not a host thing. It's not a data store thing. It's not a storage thing. It's not a storage networking thing. It's actually these VMs all over and oh, they all came from this template. So VM analytics is the tip of the week for helping you find a performance needle in a haystack, or sometimes I'll call it as the 
fastest path to not my fault, get out of my office or fastest path to mm, let me do a little more checking, please nicely get out of my office and I'll get back to you soon. Either way you like to think of it. It's not me. Have you looked at DNS? <laughs> it's always DNS. It's always network. It's always storage. I feel like depending on where you've lived in the past, it's always one of those things. Maybe. Okay, JD, I think we are at the end here. Uh, Rob and JD, any final thoughts to bring us home? You know, Andrew, as always, I, I love doing this with you and Rob. Uh, thanks for the opportunity. I, I think one of the things that uh, we're going to start doing is maybe accelerating the uh, number of these that we do. Um, sounds like there's an audience out there. Thank you. Uh, but as we do that and we start to think more and more about the topics that we bring up, we'd love to get your feedback. So I'll remind everyone once more that you can email us pure report at purestorage.com. Got a comment, got an idea for a future segment. Uh, we'd absolutely love to hear that. So, so let's hear from you. I, I love the Rob Quast idea and just bringing in some other voices. Of course, it's always good to have you two gents and the hidden gems of knowledge that reside in those uh, large craniums of yours there or crania. I don't know. That's an interesting one. But uh, I love this segment and I do think we should do more of these. I know you're both super busy as am I, but I get a lot out of these and I know you guys have fun putting these together and crafting them. They're just always so interesting and coming along. So yeah, here's to, here's to more unplugged. With that, I don't think I have any, except for echoing JD's comment, please. We'd love input. We want to make it worthwhile for you and for chatting with Rob. It sounds like there are enough people tuning in that, you know, we would love some input But with that. I think all that I've got to say is mom, come get me. I'm done for the day. Over to you, Rob. Thanks gents. And thank you out there for listening to this edition of the peer report un plugged with Andrew and JD, my super talented co-hosts. I love having you both. Please do send in that feedback. Tell a friend, tell a colleague, get some more folks listening to the program. We'll keep the great guests coming and the great unplugged episodes out to you. And with that, we will wrap for Pure Storage, Andrew Miller and JD Wallace. This is Rob Ludeman saying, don't look back. Something might be gaining on you.